Welcome to the Grace Vineyard Podcast, where we are building growing communities of worshipers who are becoming like Christ, empowered to do His work. We hope you enjoy this message. I want to introduce Jason DePinto, and perhaps more importantly, his new bride, Christina, who's down here. He'll probably do that too, but they just got married on the day before Easter. Was that April 3rd? April 3rd. Is that awesome? So this is Chaplain DePinto. He's going to tell you more because I'll mess it up if I try to figure out where he is and what he is and all that. But he's been a really good friend of mine for a number of years. When our church officially joined the vineyard, a few years ago, Jason was one of the most welcoming people. He is a chaplain, but representing the vineyard. If you didn't know that, there are vineyard chaplains. And um, he just in our, he lives in our county, and he um, always was a, just a warm face and friend to me. So we've gotten to know each other over the last, I don't know, five or six years, it seems like. And then one time he offered to preach here, and we said, please. And do you remember when he came in September? Some of you were here in the parking lot. I see some heads, yeah, and, and then people were saying, Ron, why don't you go away? Could we just have him as the... Oh, <laughs> yeah. uh-uh. did you hear no. the... Oh. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. <laughs> but really, he's, he's just was a, a super delight. So it's good to have him back. He's going to um, bring the word to us. Let's pray for him, okay? Father, we thank you for Jason and the call in his life and his new marriage, which we're really excited about. But uh, today, we recognize him as the vessel you've chosen help us grow as disciples. So let your hand be upon him. Let your spirit be upon him to speak to us. And we, Lord, we come to you now with hearts full of faith that you will cause us to be transformed in the hearing and the learning of your word. So bless this time. Bless him in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Oh, I forgot one important thing. Yes. On our website, which you can get to the, from the phone, if you didn't grab one of those sheets of paper when you came in, or if you're online, if you go to gracebcf.org slash notes, that handout is there, which may be useful for you. If not, you're cool. God bless you. Have yeah, fun. thank you so much. Well, thank you, Ron, and uh, greetings to Grace Vineyard. It's so great to see some of you, some of you again. Thank you so much. What a warm welcome. Um, as, uh, as Ron said, my name is Jason DePinto. I am a U.S. Navy chaplain, which I've been active duty now for the last almost 14 years, but I've also been a part of the vineyard since 1998. Uh, prior to joining the, the military, I lived in Connecticut, where um, Christina and I first met a long time ago. I joined the vineyard in 1998, sadly, just a few months after John Wimber, the founder of the vineyard, had passed away, so I never got to, to meet him or attend any of his events in person. But at the vineyard there in Connecticut, I held a number of positions from drummer on the worship team. So shout out to the drummer. I did that for a number of years there. I see him back there. Uh, I also helped out with the youth group and the outreach ministry, eventually ended up attending seminary and becoming the pastoral intern, and then eventually the associate pastor before I joined the military in 2007. Uh, As a military chaplain, Navy chaplain, the Navy chaplain corps serves not just the United States Navy, they also serve the United States Marine Corps and the Coast Guard. So I've served with all three branches. Um, I deployed to Afghanistan with the Marines in 2008 and 2009, deployed to Japan and Korea on board a couple of amphibious assault ships in 2011. Also with the Coast Guard, uh, did support for Hurricane Maria 
and Hurricane Rita relief out in Puerto Rico in the U.S. Virgin Islands just a few years ago. Currently serve as the ship's chaplain on board, or one of the ship's chaplains rather, on board the USS Abraham Lincoln uh, uh, aircraft carrier based out of Naval Air Station North Island down in central San Diego. And uh, it's a blessing to be here, like I said, with Christina, my new wife from just the last four weeks. When, uh, when we first got engaged, we've been together for a little more than three years. We dated for two years. We're engaged for about a year. Uh, when we first got engaged a little more than a year ago, we thought we might try to get uh, married sooner. But then, of course, coronavirus happened, and that kind of put a pause on it. And when we decided to push it back to the spring, Christina said she really wanted to get married on, on April 3rd, which is 4321. So that makes it really easy for me to remember my anniversary for the rest of my life. Yeah. I'm a little older, so that's good. I need little mnemonics and rubrics like that to help me remember. You know, God bless uh, her and our new marriage. She's had a pretty quick introduction to Navy chaplain spouse life. Um, I've already been out to sea in just the four weeks for a little more than a week. Uh, we've already gotten some late night phone calls and some early morning phone calls. So welcome to the Navy, honey. That's just the way it goes sometimes. Um, you know, in all seriousness, though, it's been a pretty interesting week as far as ministry goes on board the USS Abraham Lincoln. Last Saturday morning, right as we were getting up, just about 7 a.m., I got a telephone call from another chaplain, uh, sadly informing me that one of our sailors had been shot and killed the night before in his apartment in La Mesa. We don't know much about that. There's an investigation ongoing, but a pretty, pretty tragic event that happened really early in the morning, and obviously rewrote the script on my last weekend in my last week. Ended up spending a lot of time supporting sailors uh, on board the Lincoln that Saturday. Uh, ended up meeting the family as they flew into town on Sunday and spending time praying with them at the unexpected and very tragic loss of their son, who was only 22 years old. And then uh, worked this week to put together a memorial service that we held just on Thursday to honor him and his life. You know, the ministry this week was unexpected. It was intense. And frankly, it was with a lot of people experiencing a tremendous amount of grief, questions, anxiety, even some anger, and a lot of people just frankly desperate for the gospel of Jesus Christ, the peace that he brings. And, um, you know, when I, when I got that phone call last Saturday morning, I did not know what the weekend was going to be like. I did not know how that telephone call was going to reshape my weekend and reshape this last week. But really, through, through nothing specific to me, really all the glory to God, I felt prepared. I felt prepared for what was to come because as a Navy chaplain, my goal is to be where it matters, when it matters, with what matters. And as a Christian, what matters is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that he brings and proclaims. And it's amazing, isn't it? When we step out in faith, and God calls us to something, and we step out in faith, and we can actually watch God back us up as we step out and care for others for the kingdom of God. Amen? So as we prepare to open our Bibles this morning and reflect on what it means to be prepared for whatever God is calling us for, I ask that you would also pray with me, um, but we're going to be opening our Bibles here in just a second to Matthew 24. Let us come to the Lord in prayer. Gracious and loving God, we we are so honored to be in your presence as the body of Christ. Those who are gathered here in person and those who are online, Lord, let your spirit fall in this place. Let your spirit fall wherever this community is gathered. 
for we know that wherever two or more gathered, your presence is here. Teach us what it means to be prepared in every season for whatever you're calling us to make us a people who are ready for you. We give you this time, we give you this day, this week, for it is in the name of your precious son, Jesus Christ, that we pray these things. Amen. Amen. All right, if you have your Bible, you can, or if it's on your phone, you can turn or click your way to Matthew chapter 24. We're going to start the beginning of the chapter, verse 1. We're going to read a whole section there, but Matthew chapter 24. Now, of course, Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. If you're new to faith, you can go to Matthew there. Matthew is the first of the Gospels, and the Gospels are the stories that tell the life of Jesus of Nazareth, tell about his ministry, his death, and his resurrection that we celebrated just a few weeks ago on Easter. And actually, our uh, Christian Orthodox brothers and sisters are celebrating this weekend. They go by a different, a different religious calendar, and so people who are Greek Orthodox or Russian Orthodox, they're celebrating Easter this weekend. So if you have any friends who are Christian Orthodox, you can wish them a belated happy Easter for them. Again, Matthew chapter 24, we're going to read verses 1 through 8. And then uh, I'll jump down to verses 36, and we'll read through the end of the chapter. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. If you have another version, please feel free to follow along in your Bible as well. Here we go. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to him and pointed to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered these. He answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these things are but the beginnings of the birth pains. Now jump down to verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, verse 39, and they were unaware until the flood came in and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, verse 42, stay Awake, for you do not know on what day the Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour that you do not expect. Verse 45, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all of his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, oh, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect 
and in an hour he does not know. And we'll cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Whew. All right, let's unpack this a little, okay? So this whole passage, this whole passage takes place at the end of Matthew's gospel, getting toward the end. And we started in chapter 24, but in chapter 19, Jesus starts to turn and head toward Jerusalem. And he's heading toward Jerusalem in preparation for the passion, in preparation for he, he knows what will be his, his uh, trial, his crucifixion, his burial, and his resurrection. And this passage is what's called the Olivet Discourse. It's a fancy term. It just basically means Jesus teaching on the Mount of Olives, all right? That's Matthew 24 and 25. It's found in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, a version of this, very similar. In fact, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels, which is just a fancy way of saying that uh, the, they're seen together. They, those three gospels tell really the same story very similarly. John has some unique stories that we don't get in the others. And so Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have a version of this passage. And it's this, this teaching is sometimes called the little apocalypse because uh, Revelation, the book of Revelation, that's the big apocalypse, right? That's where, where the, the John, the writer, tells us the, the big story of the end. But this is called the little apocalypse because it includes Jesus' warnings for his disciples on what they're going to suffer, the tribulation and persecution that will come before the ultimate triumph of the kingdom of God. So Jesus had been in Jerusalem. And we see that in verses 1 and 3 when, when it says Jesus left the temple, which was in Jerusalem, and he was going away, and his disciples come to point out to him the buildings that are there. Basically, probably saying, look how beautiful these buildings are. And then in verse 3, it says, and Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came to him asking, Tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age. So um, if you've not been to Israel, uh, the Mount of Olives, it's, it's just kind of across a little valley. You can walk there in, I don't know, less than an hour from, from the Temple Mount. So Jesus leaves the temple and he goes a little ways away to the Mount of Olives. And this is where he begins to teach. And the disciples can clearly sense that something is wrong. They're asking Jesus about what's to come, about the end of the age. Now, Jesus knows what's coming. And he's, he's tried to warn them and give them a heads up, but, but the disciples don't seem to get it. The folks that are following Jesus don't seem to get it. And really, just a couple chapters later, when Jesus is anointed um, uh, in, in chapter 26, that's really the beginning of his, of his passion narrative, of his, um, what will become his trial, crucifixion, and resurrection. And they're asking him, when is the end going to come? And Jesus says, not yet but be ready. Be ready. In verse 4, he says, see that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will lead many astray. And you will hear of what? You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, verse 6 says, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. And in verse 7, he says, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of the birth pains. And as I look around, it sounds a little familiar to our lives, doesn't it? Does it not 
think about the challenges that we've experienced just in the last year, and I'm not talking about just our nation and our world, but think about the challenges that have come even in our communities, in our cities, even maybe in our individual families, right? We're praying for the, the Davis family that just experienced another, another thing that they're having to deal with, with uh, Adam, their, their son, right? Adam is the son getting, having an injury. Another challenge. Do we think the end is coming soon? Do we think our Lord will finally return soon? I hope so. I pray so. But verse 36 says, concerning that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, not the Son, but the Father only. Think about the implications of that. <clears throat> even the angels don't know. <clears throat> and they minister to God in his presence. Jesus is saying, look, even me as, as, the, as the incarnate Son of God, I've, I've set aside my divinity, right? And in my humanity, as I'm fully man, here to you today, even I don't exactly know. Anyone who claims to know, my friends, is not telling the truth. <laughs> but it will come. Our Lord will come because he's promised he's come. And when he comes, it will be a little bit suddenly. Here's what it'll be like, verse 40, verse 40. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Verse 41, two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, what? Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. We don't know. We don't know. But verse 40 says, or verse 44 rather says, you must be ready. You must be ready. So if you're taking notes, if you grab one of those little bulletin inserts and you're the kind of person that likes to take notes, point number one is we must always be ready for whatever our calling and our life requires. For whatever our calling and our life requires, we must always be ready. You know, the, uh, all the sea services, you know, the Navy, the Marine Corps, and the Coast Guard, they, they have a motto, right? The Marine Corps motto is Semper Fidelis, always, we know. Always faithful. Thank you. Semper Fidelis. You may have heard that. Always faithful. The Navy motto, it's not as commonly known. It's Semper Fortis, always strong. The Coast Guard motto, very interestingly, Semper Paratus, always prepared, always ready, always ready. Specifically because of the nature of the Coast Guard missions, right? They're doing these search and rescue, drug interdictions, rescues at sea. They've got to be always, always ready. You know, that, that young man in my command presumably had no idea that his life would end so suddenly and so tragically. Certainly none of us had any idea. I didn't know that I would be called upon to help care for that family and for all of his friends and colleagues at work. We just never know. So how do we prepare for something? How can we always be ready for something when we don't know what we're going to be asked to be ready for? Well, as a chaplain, I serve as kind of like the, the pastor or the spiritual counselor for more than 3,000 sailors in the command. And, and I'm not the only chaplain, but, but we serve a lot of sailors. And recently, my ship has started preparing to make a deployment next year. So for us, that means we start doing something called workups. And workups basically means we're going out to sea and we're training so that we can certify for the missions that we're going to have to do when we deploy. But the reality is we don't start, we don't just like leave the pier and immediately start launching and recovering aircraft and dropping bombs and doing all that kind of stuff. People can get hurt. These are complex missions. 
So what do we do? We practice. We rehearse. We start slow. Sometimes we even we, we make up pretend scenarios so that we can train ourselves and test our reactions. And then we train. And then eventually, after we've trained, we have someone come in and they certify us and say, okay, now you're ready to do that mission when push comes to shove. In the military, sometimes we call this the crawl, walk, run training method. It means that we have to crawl before we can walk, and we have to walk before we can run. That's how we make sure that people don't get hurt. That's how we make sure that all of our procedures are in place. The crawl, walk, run training method. Isn't that, well, I want to offer you that that is a little bit of the way that our life of faith can and should be. Crawl, then walk, then run. Now, hang with me here, because can God take a baby Christian and throw them straight into heavy ministry and care for others? Absolutely. Absolutely, he can. And sometimes he does. Sometimes he does. As Christians, we have the Holy Spirit, and Philippians 2 tells us, for it is God who works in you to will and to do according to his good purpose. So it's possible. We are capable. And in fact, one of the places you see that in the Bible is if you look at the book of Judges. Sometimes you'll see the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of the Lord, it says, come on to somebody and they, they, they execute these mighty deeds of valor kind of almost out of the spur of the moment. But you don't have to look too far in Judges to realize that those were some pretty flawed individuals and rarely the kind of leaders that we ourselves would want to emulate. So the vast majority of times, I put to you, God trains us. He helps us transform and grow as we develop our capacity to love him and care for others. He develops our capacity to be semper paratus, to be always ready. This is why 2 Timothy, in, uh, 2 Timothy 3 says, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for what? It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God, the servant of God can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Scripture trains us so that we can be prepared, so that we can be equipped. So uh, point number two, if you're taking notes and following along, as our, in our walk as Christians, as disciples, when we train, we crawl, we walk, and then we run. Think about the heroes of the faith. Almost all of them were trained. Think about what Jesus is doing in, this, in the Gospels, right? He calls the disciples, and then he trains them for three years to do the ministry that he's calling them to do. They watch him as he casts out demons and heals the sick and proclaims the good news. And then in Matthew and in Luke, you can see this very specifically. First, he empowers the 12, and he gives them the exact same ministry. He says, go and heal the sick, cast out demons, and proclaim the good news. And then after he does the 12, he does 72. See, he's widening the scope. He's increasing the level of training. And he calls them and tells them to do the same thing. And then we get all the way through his crucifixion and resurrection. And in the verse that Ron pointed out earlier, Jesus turns to the apostles and he gives them the whole mission of the church. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And he says, okay, now go and train others. 
and lo, I am with you always to the ends of the earth. And he backs it up by giving the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 to empower the church, right? And to continue the training method on so that we can now train others. As we have been trained, so we train others. But it's not just not just the disciples, right? Timothy is trained by Paul. And you might think, well, Paul, sure, he was called and he just kind of went out and did it. But if you read, actually, even Paul goes back to Jerusalem and spends some time with the apostles in prayer and teaching before he goes out and, and begins his ministry. Moses, probably the quintessential person who's called out of the blue, right? Literally a burning bush. But God says, I'm not going to make you do this alone. I'm going to give you Aaron to be your voice so that you can grow in this capacity to lead this people. So we train, we grow, and we develop in order to be ready. My ship, it doesn't know what real life, we don't know what real life missions we have to accomplish. We don't know when the flag goes up what we're going to be called to do. But the more we train, the more confident we can be. Will we be able to train for every scenario? No. No, we can't train for every possible scenario. It's just not possible. We don't know. But the more we train, the more comfortable, the more confident we can be. It reminds me of what Amy was saying earlier about, about how there's freedom. There's freedom in the presence of Christ. But, but I, I got two images in my mind when I thought of freedom. You know, freedom is not chaos, right? Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. But that's not chaos. Think of a uh, if any of you have had little kids that play soccer, right? When they're first learning to play soccer, that's a little closer to chaos, right? They all just kind of run after the ball this way, and then they all just kind of run after the ball that way. But have you ever seen a World Cup soccer team? I mean, now that is freedom because they've trained. They've practiced. They can improvise. They can adapt to whatever's thrown at them. And it's just, it's like a ballet. It's beautiful. The ball's moving across and they're passing to one another. And it's just, that's freedom. It's freedom within the rules, the ability to adapt to whatever's coming because of all the training and practice that they've had. You know, if you witness an accident on the street or on the way home today, could you stop and give CPR? Probably, probably a lot of us could, but if you're like me, it's, it's been a little while, right? I remember I'm supposed to do the, you know, staying alive. That's the little rhythm I'm supposed to. I just remember that, you know, and, and if all else fails, just keep doing the chest compressions to staying alive. But um, how much more confident would you be if you practiced, if you trained? If any of you are medical professionals, you're going to be a lot more confident and competent, let me say, to do it than somebody like me. How do we train? So this is the question. If we have to train, how do we train? Interesting story. Historians have gone back and looked at military units going back to the Civil War. And they find that the units in the Civil War, the Spanish-American War, the First, uh, First World War, they actually, believe it or not, were, were not that effective at getting uh, the soldiers to accurately shoot uh, their targets when an actual combat happened. You can look at these statistics and percentages and read journals and things and realize that a lot of the soldiers that had been through training weren't that effective. And they realized, psychologists and, and military historians realized, because the training back then was very artificial. It wasn't very realistic. They shot at stationary targets that were round, and they were, had these formal movements and things like that. And so when real combat happened, which is a lot more uh, chaotic, 
they hadn't trained. And we got better starting in World War One and really in World War II at having more and more and more realistic training. And the more realistic the training was, the more effective the combat units became at actually executing their training in a combat scenario. And so the realization was that how do we train? Well, first of all, we've got to train like we fight. We have to train like we fight. That is why I love the vineyard leadership model. Why I'm so happy to be a part of this body because we have this apprenticeship model that says if you want to learn how to do this, we're not necessarily going to send you to a seminary somewhere and spend three years away from the body of Christ. And I'm not saying that head knowledge isn't important, but don't misunderstand me. What we're going to do is we're going to invite you to come and see, try it out. You want to learn to pray for people? Let's figure it out. I've heard it. I've heard people say that vineyard churches and really all churches should be like teaching hospitals. You know what a teaching hospital is? A teaching hospital is a hospital where you have sick patients, but you also have medical students that are observing other attending physicians that can teach them how to then go and do the job. Our churches, our vineyard churches are teaching hospitals. That's how we bring people up. We apprentice them into it. Paul says the same thing in 1 Corinthians 9, uh, when he says, do you not know that in a race, all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Now look at this. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run as someone running aimlessly. I do not fight as a boxer beating the air. We've got to be intentional with the way that we train. You've got to be intentional in the way that we prepare ourselves for whatever is coming, whether it's a ministry opportunity that God may give to us, whether it is, uh, God forbid, you know, one of the last hours, days of our lives, or possibly even the end of the age as the Lord prepares to return. We've got to train like we fight. And we've got to remember that we have an enemy. Ephesians 6 says, we do not wrestle fundamentally against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. So we've got to train like we fight. A famous dictum of war is that no plan survives first contact with the enemy. But the better trained you are, let me say, the more effective you will be at whatever is to come. How do we know if we're ready? How do we know? If we're training, if we're living out this life, if we're doing the best we can, how do we know if we're ready? The same passage that we read earlier, that Matthew passage gives us a clue in verse 45. It says, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has set over his household to give them food at their proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master finds so doing when he comes. We know that we're ready as servants of God, if we're doing the work that God has given us to do. That's how we know. It's not, it's not expertise, it's execution of the work that God has given us to do. And those callings, they're individual callings, meaning you have a calling and you have a calling and you have a calling, but it's a corporate calling too, as the church, as, the, as Grace Vineyard, as the vineyard a body of churches, and as the global church of, of, uh, of Jesus. You know, our, our national director, the Vineyard National Director, Phil Stroud, I love how he says the gospel is never irrelevant. 
So what we are called to do as the church is to preach and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. It's to pray. It's to prophesy. It's to speak and see God heal. It's to restore broken relationships. It's to see God's justice and mercy flow in our families, in our lives, in our communities, in our cities, in our states, in our nation. So let me bring it back to Jesus on the Mount of Olives then. Next chapter, Matthew 25. See, we don't always realize how all these stories connect. You may have heard some of these stories before. When I was rereading this, I was reminded of how, how close some of these stories are together. So in Matthew 25, just same teaching, just a few verses later, probably literally a few minutes later when Jesus is talking, he tells the story of the, of the parable of the talents. You remember the parable of the talents? The master goes away, and he gives one person one talent, and another person two talents, and another person five talents. And some of the people use their talents, and then one person buries it and doesn't use it. And that's the person that is condemned when the master returns. It's that same passage. <clears throat> the important thing to see in there is that whatever God is calling you to do, it is important that you are about the work of doing it. That is how you know if you are ready. God doesn't call everyone to be a pastor. God doesn't call everyone to be an evangelist, but he calls every one of us to be children of God, to be the kingdom of God, to be the church of Jesus Christ. And we all have talents that he's given us and we need to begin to use them and grow them. And we start where we are and we move from there. It doesn't matter whether you think you have one talent or two talents or five talents. The key isn't how much you have. The key is if you're using what God has given you. Who cares if your neighbor is more talented than you, so to speak, or has a different calling than you? That's not the point. Use what God has given you and use it for his glory. And so we come to the end of Matthew 25 starting in verse 34, and we see the result of this whole teaching. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Verse 36, I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to the least of one of my brothers, you did it to me. We do that as a church, right? On Friday, we do that as a church. Can we train alone? Sure. You can learn anything on your own. You can get a YouTube video and, and learn to dance. You can learn another language. You can learn karate. Of course you can. Possible. But how much better, how much faster, how much more effectively, how much more powerfully will we learn to do those things when we do them together? When we do them as a church like an ember that falls off far away from the coals, by itself it will cool off. But when it's brought back together with the other embers, it will heat back up and it will glow for hours and hours. Because it is together, the heat keeps it warm. We need the power generated by the gathering 
of the people of God. So that's my point three. Our training and our discipleship happen when we are in community. The communities that we build, that we nourish, and that we sustain become the place where the people of God encounter and become the hands and feet of Jesus. And where those who are far from God meet him oftentimes for the very first time. That applies to this community here. Remember, the community of faith is not where we fundamentally come to receive. I mean, there is a lot of that, but is where we come to contribute, where we come to become the hands and feet of Jesus for each other, for our community, and for our city, state, and nation. The last 13 months have been tough on communities in a lot of ways, but I think it's especially in this way because it's been so hard for us to come together and figure out what it means to be a community when we're not able to come together in person. We're having to figure it out for the first time. But my exhortation to myself and to you and to anyone online, as Ron said, if you are not contributing your time, your talents, and your treasure to the community that you're a part of, may I suggest that you are missing part of what it means to do the work of the kingdom of God. I said it before, and I don't mean to offend anybody, but do you know what you know who the person is who wants to reap all the benefits and doesn't want to do any of the work? That's they call that a pimp. A pimp wants to wants to reap all the benefits and doesn't want to do any of the work. And if you are coming to your church and attending and saying, feed me, preach to me, raise my children. Teach me what it means to be a disciple of God, but you're not contributing to the life of that church. Let me suggest that you are pimping your church. And that is not what the kingdom of God is all about. The kingdom of God is where we come together and say, let's do this together. That wasn't even in my notes. That's just for free. <clears throat> so now is the time to figure it out. If you've been disconnected, now's the time to re-engage, especially as, as our communities begin to get a little bit safer and, and, and opportunities to, to not, uh, not have the, the pandemic be quite so present, become more real. Now's the time to begin to come before the Lord and say, how can I re-engage? How can I begin to contribute my time and my talents and my treasure to the community that you've called me to? We have to be ready because we never know what tomorrow may bring. Tomorrow may bring a critical opportunity for ministry or possibly our last day on earth or even that moment when our blessed King Jesus returns to claim his throne. If the worship team could come on back up as, as you're able. And as they come up, let me leave you with a couple of questions. Are you training like you fight? Are you doing the work of the kingdom of God that God has called you to do? Are you using the talents that he's given you? Are you active in your community? Are you contributing to your local church? Are you prepared? Are you ready for ministry, for his return, for the last moment of life? In just a minute, the worship team is going to play, and we are going to worship together. 
And then afterwards, if you're one who knows how to pray for others, maybe if you'd like to receive some prayer, come on down here. But we'll pray after we, uh, after we worship together. But let's examine our hearts, as Paul said. Let's examine our hearts and see what God has for us today. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But it's not chaos. It's the freedom to execute the training that he's given us. We hope you've enjoyed this message. This weekly podcast is available on our website, gracevcf.org, where you can learn more about Grace Vineyard and our vision for people everywhere to know and worship God.